straight efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 87, we're joined by Cora Lee Cooper. She's deputy director of Nescom, where we talk about the role of the organization and how medium and heavy duty trucks fit into her work. She also talks about what influenced her work, including how her Nobel Prize winning father made a difference in her life. Most interesting is his story about how numbers were invented. <laughs> she shares her impression of NACFI's day at the White House and what's on Nescom's 2024 agenda. Today we have joining us Cora Lee Cooper. She's Deputy Director at NESCOM. That's N-E-S-C-A-U-M. So, okay, a long acronym there. Um, I looked it up, and it stands for the Northeast States for Coordinated Air Use Management. Whew. And I'm thrilled to have uh, Corley on today. So thanks for joining us, Corley. Mike, it's great to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. so we go way back. Uh, and I I think I remember how we met, but I always ask all the friends uh, and, and on every one of these podcasts, so... Uh, can you tell us how we met and became friends? My memory is that we first met when NESCOM and ICCT were doing a joint study leading up to EPA's first heavy-duty greenhouse gas regulation, the phase one regulation. And we were doing a study on the technical feasibility and costs of reducing heavy-duty greenhouse gas emissions. And we had a steering committee made up of really tremendous people. and somebody suggested that you join. So I remember meeting you then. You're exactly right. I was thinking that too. I think I had either just, I may have still been at Navistar or had just left um, uh, because I, I presented to the uh, first committee. No, I had to still be at Navistar. Uh, I, uh, I, had, I had presented to that first committee on fuel economy and then I served on the second one. So yeah, and I, I remember how fun it was to see your analysis on all the technologies that we were developing or thinking about at Navistar, you know, really in the early days of fuel economy. And, um, you know, I, I, maybe we'll get into this later, but that would have been in the 2007 or 8 time frame, I'm guessing. And yeah. um, we've come so far so fast, you know. I mean, there at that point in time, it was just like, oh, my God, we got $4 diesel fuel. I mean, that's three times more expensive than the average uh for the prior couple decades and so we were all sort of shocked what are we going to do i mean seventy thousand dollars to fuel an average semi-truck well i gotta do something you know and so that was kind of those times yeah and we were talking about you know it, it, at that point 2008 we we're talking about waste heat recovery and um you know aerodynamic improvements and and but but we were not yet in the realm of electrification right maybe we should go back uh it's you know have a have a picnic or a cocktail and look at all the technologies that we were looking back at, you know, nearly 20 years ago and see where, where we are today on some of those. So so let's tell me about Nescom. I mean, uh, when I when I did look it up to get the acronym right, I saw that it was started in 1967. You know, uh, that's 56 years ago. Tell, tell us about Nescom, Corley. So, yes, um, 1967. Actually, we were founded before EPA. So we really have gone back a long ways. And um, so we're an association of state air pollution control programs. And in the early days, it was just the New England states. So Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont, and really focused on around stationary sources. The states were you know, regulating some of those sources and the air pollution was you know, moving, air moves around it. And so um, yeah. the states needed a, a forum to convene and talk to each other about 
monitoring and and uh, how to you know control these sources. And then in the 70s, New York and New Jersey joined, and Nescom started working on mobile sources. And since then, we've you know started working in a lot of other areas, monitoring, modeling, inventory. But really, we have you know a number of roles working with the states. We have that very important convening role. So bringing the states together to to look at new policies to control emissions. And we do a lot of technical evaluation. So we were talking about that, that heavy duty analysis, technical and cost analyses. And then we're also active in the federal space. So we, you know, we participate on committees like the Clean Air Act Advisory Committee and you know, um, National Academy of Sciences committees, that, that kind of thing. Are there other uh, regional groups like this around the country or are you unique? There are other organizations. There's Marama, um, LADCO, there are others. So um, they're, they're, they're regionally situated. Marama is in the, the Southeast, uh, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So we kind of have split up the country regionally. And how does uh, medium and heavy trucks fit into your work? Medium and heavy trucks are a really large part of greenhouse gas emissions and criteria pollutant emissions. So, um, you know, one of the largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions and then also for ozone forming pollution and particulate, they're really important. So the, the states really have three main goals, and that's meet their climate, their aggressive climate goals, and then meet the air quality requirements um, of the Clean Air Act, uh, such as ozone and particulate, and then environmental justice goals. And so trucks really figure in very importantly for those three goals because they contribute to climate, warming gases, they're a big contributor to ozone and PM, um, and then um, and then also in environmental justice areas, you have a lot of overburdened communities where trucks are driving through the communities, such as near ports, and so those communities are disproportionately impacted by truck traffic. So really, it's from every angle or every focus area of the states, reducing truck emissions is really important. Yeah, oftentimes I talk about how we don't, I don't know, brag might not be the right term, but that we don't recognize the improvements that we've made in NOx and particulate matter and even carbon with uh, improved fuel economy over the last couple of decades. And how, it, from from your seat and from Nescom, I mean, how do you view where we've come versus where we need to yet go? We really have come a long way. So we, you know, we we're in this for the long haul, no pun intended, but um, if you look at air quality in the 70s and 80s, especially around ozone, there have been tremendous improvements. So we have made huge improvements. I mean, it's actually flattened out in recent years. So ozone has sort of flattened out or maybe even increased. So we need to redouble our efforts. And in particular, there are certain hotspots where ozone um, pollution is especially bad in our region. So, you know, there have been improvements. You don't, you don't see that yeah. kind of brown disc of smog over cities anymore, but uh, we, you know, we still have a long way to go, even on the um, so our air quality metrics. Want to talk about you and your career, Coralie? So, um, how long have you been at Nescom? And even, you know, back earlier, I mean, what what uh, experiences have you had? Are there any jobs in particular that that sort of uh, uh, influenced you uh, in your career to to be doing what you're doing today? In the um, early 80s, when I got out of college, I just had a, a, a job where I was working in, in New York City and um, really like the air, would, you could see it in the summer. It was like soup on certain days. 
And I had a coworker who would come into work and she had asthma and uh, it would take her half an hour just to catch her breath on a bad day. And that really, that really influenced me. I just kind of felt like, is that, you know, is it legal that the air is this bad? It's causing these health problems. So that was, you know, that was an experience that kind of affected me. And then I decided I wanted to go into the environmental area and I went to actually volunteer at NRDC there, there in New York City. And I was lucky enough to work with Rich Castle on this very innovative campaign, the Dump Dirty Diesel campaign, where NRDC mm-hmm. put the advertisements on the bus saying, you know, it, it could be more dangerous to stand behind this bus than to stand in front of it. That was a really influential sort of early, early days for me in deciding to go into this area. Yeah. And so would you consider yourself a technologist, a um, a general person? I mean, how would you describe yourself? Well, I'm, I'm really, you know, by training, I'm a planner. Um, I have a master's in urban planning. Um, So yeah, generalist, I mean, in my career, I've been, I've been, you know, project management probably is is what I've done the most. So working with experts who are technology experts, cost experts, and you know, pulling together analyses that support the states um, in trying to you know transition to um, zero emission vehicles, zero emission buildings, um, and, and and other sectors. So I, I have to ask you. I, I hear that you have a famous father. You want to tell us a little bit about your dad? Yeah, my dad, um, Leon Cooper. He uh, so he's a physicist, and he he won the Nobel Prize in 1972 for his theory of superconductivity, basically explaining why um, when uh, you know electricity when wires are chilled to near absolute zero temperatures, there's no resistance in electricity traveling through wires, whereas at normal temperatures, there's quite a bit of resistance and loss. Of electricity through the wire. So he 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 and two other physicists explained that uh, theory. That's fantastic. So you 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 win the award the award for uh, you know coolest family member from a podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is he? Uh, how does how does he? How did he influence your work? I mean, I got to believe that you know that 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 work just sort of feeds into a bunch of what you're doing. I mean, you know, a lot of our work, you know needs to be database and focused and so forth. And so um, um, I, I have to imagine that he uh, he influenced you quite a bit in what you're doing and maybe you, him as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so he he's sometimes when, when, when asked, um, you know, he's weighed in on things I've asked him about work and been super helpful and just provided like very, you know, important perspective. I mean, I think that maybe from a big picture standpoint, he's made me feel optimistic because he's made me feel like, you know, big things can be done. Um, But also he's very exacting. And so anything, you know, anything I say always has to be backed up in many different ways. And so um, that kind of, it's almost like training in in, um, supporting your argument. So that that's been tremendous, but he's, he's just very supportive, very interesting person. And uh, he's he's been a really big influence. Well, wow. I mean, maybe I'll just give, give you one anecdote of like he how he kind of you know thinks about things in an unusual way that broaden um, have broadened my experience. So when I was a, a teenager, I asked him, "Hey, Dad, like, you know, are is is physics 
is that a is that a creative area like sculpture or painting? And uh, he said, Yeah. I mean, you know, think about it. Numbers weren't discovered. Somebody wasn't walking along and tripped over a rock and found a number. They were invented, and that was that was one of the most creative acts ever. Wow. So it's just kind of think about things, you know, in an unusual way. Yeah, that's so fantastic. I, I've got a thousand questions. Let's get back to you and your work. Um, and NACFI. So let's kind of pivot to sort of like the work we kind of are doing together. So um, recently in November, uh, NACFI helped organize an event at the White House that you uh, was so great, grateful to see you there, uh, where we, you know, it was a round table on electric trucks. We bought um, seven of the 10 run on less fleets to, to present in a panel. What's the uh, you know, I called it the good, the bad, and the ugly of electric truck deployment. Um, and there's plenty of good, there's plenty of struggles, and then there's a few things that are, you know, um, quite difficult. And uh, what did you think of the day? And, and where do you think we are with these electric trucks? Um, you just said numbers. You know, we can do a lot of work to get 5 or 10% carbon out of a diesel truck by efficiency. But, um, you know, it's 100%, you know, tailpipe emissions when it's electric so we gotta we gotta get these electric trucks as quick as possible where they make sense but what did you think about the white house event it was it was a great it was a great event and and really like you contributed enormously both in your your presentation so the sort of run on less overview um of the fleets that you've been um working with and then the the panel that followed it so that panel had you know some of representatives from some of the largest fleets and in the audience, there were some of some of the largest fleets in the country and you know, those that are transitioning to electric. And I guess I was struck by the breadth of knowledge and understanding of how this, how to make this transition work. Not, not to say that, you know, the fleets, like everything was working perfectly, but what they have addressed and how they've converted and transitioned their workforce, their vehicles, their fueling infrastructure, um, all of their logistics. It was it was really impressive to, to see that. And there were some terrific lessons learned also. It was really interesting to, to hear about how the, uh, you know, the workforce and some of these fleets that are transitioning to ZEVs is very diverse. There are a lot of women. Um, they're very committed to electrification. So that was great to hear about. It's not something you hear about very often. The drivers absolutely love the vehicles. So hearing about that was was really interesting. You know, there are examples of real innovation, like a fleet that uh, needed extra, you know, extra electricity. And so they installed a lot of solar panels so that they could get extra power to the trucks. So all in all, it was there, you know, it was a really interesting day and and also some very specific ideas about where do we go next? What do we need to work on? So concrete examples of what, what needs to happen next. Yeah. I was real impressed with the, like, I'm going to use the word frankness uh, or, you know, openness and straightforward discussions that we created that day. Um, you know, it was a four hour event with <laughs> really an hour of coffee and rolls before and, kind of an hour afterwards where, you know, we all took a picture. It was a beautiful fall day in DC. I mean, it's like a postcard kind of day with the, the leaves changing color and sun out and the white house right there. And, um, but we created a day where people were very blunt. Um, and, you know, 
a lot of events we go to, you know, there's there's things in the air that kind of prevent us from, you know, really talking openly and honestly. I mean, there's a little bit of regulations hanging over. We've got a greenhouse gas for phase three coming soon. And so people don't want to be like uh, misunderstood sometimes when they comment. So they tend to be a little more quiet. So uh, I really felt like we we got to a, a lot of good data and information sharing it with a broad audience. We had utilities there. We had, a, you know, many government organizations there, as well as some, uh, you know, nonprofits and for-profit companies. So um, I, I think that's that you felt the same, didn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned utilities. There are some there's some takeaways, for example, like um, we have to kind of think in new ways. Like so we, we have to make the case that, um, you know, for we're we're funding new wires that, um, you know, this has to work for rate payers. It has to deliver for the rate payer in a financial way or else the, the PUCs and the, the DPUs, um, you know, they're, they're not going to approve these changes. And so, yeah, it's an example of, you know, just how what kind of concrete actions that we need to take. And it, it was very frank, um, a nice size audience where people could be very frank. Yeah, one example of that I would bring up is um, when we were talking about electric demand, and this has been a, you know, a growing discussion on electric trucks is just how much electricity will it take to uh, to make this happen? And, you know, you can look at, you know, the 11 million trucks in North America and, you know, add up to some just like really scary, huge numbers. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, this is going to be a, uh, you know, a marathon, not a sprint. So this will take a couple of decades. But when um, uh, one of the utility facing NGOs was talking about not only truck demand, but also data center demand and how these, um, you know, data centers are requiring a lot of electricity and how do we do two big things over the next decade or so? How do we do two big things over the next decade or so at the same time uh, with an electricity grid that's, you know, been called the the most, uh, what is it, the most elect, uh, complex machine in the world or something like that? Yes, um, yes. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I also heard in that discussion, the transition to truck electrification, it's not as energy intensive as what we've experienced already with the data center demand. And so we've kind of already gone through a huge surge in demand and we are going to go through another one, but uh, you know, it, it can be handled. Obviously, there's a lot of planning that needs to be done, um, and we need to think about, you know, innovative ways of, you know, storage and other ways to even out even out the demand. But um, we've faced this before, and we can we can um, make you know make this happen in a way that's economical. So I, I also heard that message. Yeah, and I think maybe I was a little mistaken there. I don't think it's the amount of electricity. I think with solar and wind and uh, you know other uh, forms, we can probably generate it. Uh, it's really getting it to the particular address and the site. So this whole this whole piece, and that's a lot of what's going on uh, with NACFI here in 2024. I mean, we're not going to become utility and electricity um, planners or experts, but helping uh, various other groups and EPRI and others are doing some really good work on where this truck demand is going to show up and when and who's going to be early adopters and what areas and you utility specific areas need to be be working on it. So uh, here at NACFI, we're going to 
2024 will be a lot of us learning ourselves and helping others understand kind of what's coming. Um, how about Nescom? What's what's on your plate in 2024? Um, maybe specific to trucking or freight or uh, logistics um, that you might want to share. Well, so yeah, you you mentioned some some of the work um, that you have going on and others, and so we're also involved in some of those you know kind of planning and strategic studies. So working um, under a DOE grant with National Grid and others to look at the Northeast corridor and um, specifically to project what you know demand for um, electrification needs are going to be for if we're going to electrify trucking. So identifying good locations for um, order charging and what the specific demand will be and you know, kind of identifying where should the locations for charging be based on the availability of transmission lines, land that's available and uh, kind of where the, the trucks are traveling. So find those, those areas that make the most sense and map that out. And then I think, you know, the next thing that has to happen is to, to then take the next step, which is to actually get these uh, locations, get this charging infrastructure in place. And, there, you know, there are, there are federal grants that are coming that uh, can help with this. So the climate pollution reduction grants, charging and fueling infrastructure grants. So I, we're going to be thinking about both looking strategically, where are those sites, where does the charging need to be? And then getting the funding in place for um, starting to put uh, the charging infrastructure there. So that that's one part of it. There, there's also another part, and I, I, I mentioned kind of NESCOM's early history and how we started out. But, um, you know, we've really branched out over the years. And I, we have three task forces now that uh, are working at NESCOM. So they're not, you know, one is transportation, one is buildings, and one is wood heat. But together, those three task forces were, um, were working with 23 states, including Hawaii and Alaska, and then, you know, uh, states in between. And then we're working with municipalities, such as Fairbanks and Missoula, and then we have uh, the province of Quebec. And then also on those task forces, you know, we typically have worked with air quality staff, but we now work with, you know, Board of Public Utility staff, uh, DPU, we have the Departments of Transportation, we have Energy. Um, there's a whole host of new staffers that are coming to, to work with us and to tackle these problems in a lot more jurisdictions. Um, yeah. so I think that's the future. You know, we have to be coordinating across government and across agencies. Yep. I think that you're exact. I mean, uh, you know, when I look even at the, how do you get an electric or how do you get a truck depot electrified? There's a lot more players than we've ever had to do anything in trucking. And so you combine the big data of where are the trucks, where's the electricity, where's the real estate, with um, the fact that we're working with a lot more people. I mean, this is exciting. It's a little, uh, uh, you know, it looks a little tough, <laughs> but um, but I think we got the tools and we got the people to, to go get it done. You talked about the diversity of the folks working on this and the passion they have. I, I just, I'm just really confident. You know, correlated time always flies. Um, what, what sort of like for the audience we have here, um, you know, and through your experiences, and maybe it's this collaboration piece. What what's a suggestion or two, or how do you think uh, we should all tackle this, um, you know, truck opportunity 
or freight opportunity. Do you have any suggestions for everybody listening? Well, I think, you know, we have to do a couple things. At first, I think we have to, we do have to think a little bit in, uh, in different ways than we have traditionally. So as I mentioned, you know, we've got to reach across levels of government and we're, we're starting to do that. We need to continue it and double down. We have to be talking with the utilities and the DPUs and everything to get these pieces in place. And then I think um, we need to keep going on things that we've always done well and, and just and continue to do them. So technical and policy analyses, cost analyses, and then analyses that um, are going to make kind of incremental improvements like how do we have consistency in charging infrastructure, both for the payment and for what kind of charters people are using so that they can just expect the same thing every time they're going to a charger. And then working on things like um, permit streamlining so that when, uh, you know, when we need to put a charger in place, it can happen quicker than it happens today. So I think there, you know, there, there are a number of things that need, we need to be working on. Then big picture, just keep in mind that we've come a very long way from where we were in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And um, we we have a long way to go, but we've, yeah. we've done this before. We've accomplished a lot and we're going to continue to accomplish a lot. Yeah, very good. And I heard from you there, you know, keep your eye on the prize and be strategic, but things like permitting and, and payments. I mean, when we find an issue that's at a real tactical level around this journey, let's go fix it or improve it, you know, put the tools in place and get on with it. Be urgent about those things. So Carly, it's been so much fun. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been a lot of fun. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Rosen Friends.